Hey, Ishers, it's Jamie. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. This is my very first international case. It's an unbelievable case that needs to be told because sadly, I think it will resonate with many people listening to this podcast. My hope is that listeners who are experiencing any form of abuse by a domestic partner will hear this episode and begin to take steps to exit their situation safely. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. The story you're about to hear involves domestic violence and coercive control in their most extreme forms. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Get around, and she's going blue. Okay, just bear with me here. Are you with her now? Yeah, yeah, I'm with her now. Okay, and how old is she? She's the oldest. She's making gurgling noises. Okay. Uh, okay, is she awake? She's unconscious, but she's gurgling. Okay. Is she breathing? She's breathing slower. At 5.24 a.m. on Sunday, May 26, 2016, a 999 operator responded to a call from Jillian Reed at 23 Sydney Street in Platte Bridge, which is a settlement in the metropolitan borough of Wigan in the northwestern part of England. Jillian said to the 999 operator that her daughter's partner had collapsed. When emergency medical personnel reached the home, they found Lindsay Vaux unresponsive and not breathing. Her partner, Becky Reed, blamed Lindsay's current state on a thyroid problem, which supposedly caused her to fall down frequently. Reed also told them that Lindsay refused to take medication to help with the medical problem. Robert Atherton, a neighbor, said he had been woken up around 4 a.m. by Becky Reed's voice, quote, shouting and ordering Lindsay back to the house. When he saw the ambulance arrive, he noticed Jillian Reed sitting on a couch. Atherton said, quote, I saw Lindsay being brought out of the house on a stretcher with a tube in her mouth and then saw Jillian appearing to be laughing when she came out of the house. Medics managed to resuscitate Lindsay for a brief moment, but the 31-year-old never regained consciousness and was pronounced dead on arrival at Wigan Infirmary. Hospital staff were immediately alarmed after seeing all of the bruises Lindsay had sustained over most of her body. An autopsy would identify 90 different injuries on her body, including a broken hip, six fractured ribs, two broken bones in her right arm, and one to her left arm, as well as fractured legs. These injuries had obviously occurred over a period of time. When the police examined the home on Sydney Street, where Lindsay lived with Becky and Jillian Reed, they found blood spots in every room in the house. Once the examination concluded, it was determined that all of the blood came from Lindsay. The official cause of death was determined to be cardiac arrest, but one home office pathologist said she died from consequences of, quote, prolonged abuse. 
Three days later, on May 25th, Lindsay's girlfriend, Becky Reed, was arrested in connection with Lindsay's death. Police put out a call to the public for assistance in the case, asking for anyone with information to contact them. Police could have never been prepared for the information they would receive from numerous witnesses. According to the CDC 2010 National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey, in the U.S., approximately 22.3% of women and 14% of men have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner during their lives. The report found that individuals identifying as lesbian, gay, and bisexual have an equal or higher incidence of experiencing intimate physical violence, sexual violence, and stalking when compared to individuals identifying as heterosexuals. Bisexual women in particular are disproportionately impacted, experiencing a significantly higher incidence of rape, physical violence, and stalking by an intimate partner compared to lesbian and heterosexual women. According to the survey, the percentage of individuals reporting rape, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner are lesbian women 44%, gay men 26%, bisexual women 61%, bisexual men 37%, heterosexual women 35%, and heterosexual men 29%. In the United Kingdom, two women are killed each week by a current or former partner in England and Wales, according to the Office for National Statistics, released February 11, 2016, for statistics ending in March 2015. Witnesses told police that they had seen Reed dragging Lindsay by her hair and beating her out in the street near the house they lived in on Sydney Street. Lindsay was seen with black eyes, cut lips, a cauliflower ear, bruises to her face and body, and a noticeable limp, literally dragging one of her legs behind her as she walked. Police were told that during one beating, Lindsay tried to get away from Reed, but Reed punched her in the face, knocking her to the ground. Lindsay stayed on the ground, begging Reed to stop. Reed continued beating her and stomped Lindsay's face and body while she lay helplessly in the street. In another incident, Lindsay was in front of the house with Reed standing in the doorway, blocking her path. Reed attacked Lindsay, knocking her to the ground, then continuing to punch her and kick her before dragging her into the house. One neighbor told police she saw Reed stomp on Lindsay's face using her, quote, whole body weight. Neighbors and shopkeepers in the area witnessed Lindsay being dragged by her hair and beaten by Reed. Shortly before her death, a neighbor saw Lindsay hiding underneath a car in the street. When the neighbor asked if Lindsay needed help, her reply was, quote, I just need to rest. She eventually dragged herself back into the house. The neighbor said she could hear Reed saying to Lindsay, quote, boo-hoo. In the months leading up to Lindsay's death, neighbors described her as looking downtrodden, malnourished, and bruised. One neighbor said that Lindsay, quote, looked like she was already dead. Another said she looked like she had been in an accident. One witness said that Reed would punch her, drag her around, and then tell her, quote, Look what you're making me do, making everyone believe I'm a bully when you are. Witnesses said Becky Reed was not the only one in the house to take part in the assaults on Lindsay. Jillian Reed, Becky's mother, was also seen abusing Lindsay. Once, she even got off of her mobility scooter to kick Lindsay in the ribs, according to a witness. According to a friend of Lindsay's named Paige Fala, 
Jillian told her that she and Becky had been, quote, trying to get rid of Lindsay for six years. Lindsay and Reed had been in a relationship for seven years, since 2009. Lindsay had previously dated Reed's cousin, Tyrone, who introduced her to Reed. In 2011, two years into their relationship, Reed gave Lindsay an ultimatum regarding her six-year-old daughter, Aaliyah. Reed told Lindsay she needed to choose between her daughter and Reed. Reed's constant abuse and control had taken a strong hold on Lindsay, and she ultimately left her daughter with her mother and moved in with Becky and Jillian. Prior to her relationship with Reed, Lindsay had a lot of friends and was close to her family. Once she became involved with Reed, she was cut off from her friends and her family only heard from her when she needed money. In 2013, Lindsay called her mother Anne, saying she wanted to come back home, but Reed would not let her. Later, she called back to say that everything was fine. Friends who had not seen Lindsay in a long time would say that when they ran into her, they didn't even recognize her. Her appearance had dramatically changed. Most notable was the amount of weight she had lost. Lindsay weighed about 16 stone, or 224 pounds, when she first met Reed. During their relationship, Lindsay's weight plummeted to about 8 stone, or just over 100 pounds. One friend said that Lindsay flinched in pain when she tried to hug her. Shortly before her death, Lindsay told another friend of hers about the abuse Reed was inflicting on her, saying, quote, I'll be honest with you. Becky has battered me a few times. It's been going on for years, but it's got worse these last few months. It was just when Becky got angry, but it's getting worse. Every couple of days, I get a crack. I've got Becky hitting me, and the mum is just sitting there letting it happen, saying that I was the one in the wrong. Sometimes I get a punch or a couple of kicks. Once I got pushed down the stairs. Another friend said that Lindsay told her, quote, I do get on her nerves, and she just snaps. Friends and neighbors called the police numerous times, but when they responded, Lindsay would protect Reed, which is common behavior of someone who's being abused. When police would respond to calls reporting abuse, Lindsay would protect Reed and claim that someone else had attacked her or that she had been in an accident or fallen. Due to these comments, police took no action against Reed. One friend who saw Lindsay shortly after one of her beatings by Reed described her as, quote, looking like the elephant man. Another said she looked like she had been, quote, hit by a bus. Lindsay told her mom, Anne, that Reed would make her go out and beg for money and that if she didn't return with any, she would not be let back into the house. Anne said that any money she sent to Lindsay had to be deposited directly into Reed's checking account. She also said there were times when her daughter would call for money and Reed could be heard in the background screaming orders at her and demanding that Lindsay get more money. Lindsay was often seen limping around the streets in the rain, begging and scrounging for money. Any money she brought back was used by Reed for scratch cards or lottery tickets, marijuana, and alcohol. If she didn't bring back money, Reed would beat her. At trial, jurors heard that on one occasion, Reed kicked Lindsay hard in the face for putting salad on her burger after arriving home from buying food. Witnesses said they saw Lindsay looking gaunt, wandering the alleyways in her nightgown after being sent out by Reed to get money. Witnesses said, quote, she would often be seen walking around the streets in the local area without shoes or appropriate clothing, sometimes in flip-flops and a t-shirt, in the pouring rain. She would appear to be trying to get back into the house, and it would seem that somebody within was refusing her entry. 
Police believe that Becky Reed did not have a job the entire time she was in the relationship with Lindsay. Her mother, Jillian, received government benefits, including the scooter she sometimes drove for a disability she had. Although the Reeds ate regularly, the same could not be said for Lindsay. Lindsay lost half of her body weight while in a relationship with Reed. This loss in body weight from starvation caused Lindsay to look severely malnourished, leading many to believe she was a drug addict. Instead of being fed by the Reeds, Lindsay was left to find food for herself. CCTV footage exists of her at stores buying food for the Reeds, where she is so weak she had to lean against the counter just to stand up. She was witnessed by shopkeepers, quote, literally devouring food when she found it in dumpsters. Neighbors described her as always being hungry and thirsty. Friends and police had offered to help Lindsay in the past. Like many abuse victims, she declined their offers for help possibly out of fear, or possibly from the Reed's controlling behavior making her believe she was at fault. That said, around two months before she died, Lindsay agreed to speak with someone at a women's charity about going to a shelter. Unfortunately, she didn't follow through. Lindsay eventually left the women's shelter and returned home to Reed because she was afraid of the consequences if she didn't. Lindsay lost her placement at the women's shelter. The day before she was murdered, Lindsay was caught on CCTV footage at a local shop purchasing a lottery ticket for Becky, which she often did. She was described as looking, quote, desperate and withdrawn. I've seen this footage and it's both heartbreaking and shocking. In the footage, you can easily see that Lindsay has a black eye and she looks to be significantly underweight. Only a few hours before she died, neighbors would report seeing Lindsay out on the street, obviously injured. Kevin O'Leary, who saw her between 10 and 11 p.m. on May 21st, said she had blood, quote, all around her mouth. She was standing barefoot on the gravel. Another neighbor, Mark Hopley, said he saw Lindsay laying on the ground in front of his car. He said he looked outside regularly to see if she was still there and that each time he looked out, she was still on the ground, but she had crawled a little farther toward her house. Hopley went on to say that he heard a dragging noise, and upon looking out again, he saw her legs being dragged along the ground toward her house. He couldn't tell whether she was dragging herself or being dragged by another person. The door to number 23 Sydney Street was then slammed shut. At 5.23 a.m., one minute before Jillian Reed called 999, another neighbor, Sarah Fallows, was awakened by excessive banging followed by a scream. After Becky Reed was arrested, police decided to look at her past relationships. They found a woman with whom Reed had been trying to form a relationship four years prior. The woman did not want a relationship with Reed. She reported that Reed had obsessively bombarded her with phone calls, texts, and other messages in a frighteningly persistent manner, as if Reed wouldn't take no for an answer. Investigators thought this showed just how possessive and controlling Reed could be. Although Reed didn't have any convictions for violence, there was a report about an alleged attack on a former partner of hers that occurred on June 20, 2008 eight years prior to her arrest in connection with Lindsay's death. The victim's name was Samantha Nunes. Samantha and Becky Reed met in an online chat room in 2004, and then the two women were in a relationship from 2004 to 2008. On June 20, 2008, paramedics were called to a house on Stanley Place in Wigan, 
Reed's sister, Tony, and her partner, Felicity, had come to the house where Samantha lived with Jillian and Becky Reed. They found Samantha on the floor, badly injured, with Becky and Jillian Reed punching and kicking her. A medical exam later showed that Samantha suffered a fractured eye socket as a result of the attack. When police responded, they interviewed Samantha. She told them about being attacked but refused to press charges against Reed and the investigation was dropped. Discovering this 2008 police report allowed the Greater Manchester Police Major Incident Support Unit to track down Samantha. They told her that Reed was now suspected of murdering her partner and they asked Samantha if she would testify. Samantha agreed to help. Samantha told police that she and Reed moved in together at a flat in Cherry Tree Court in Salford after they had been together for a while. Shortly after they began living together, Lindsay reported that Reed became increasingly violent and controlling. Just as she later did with Lindsay, Reed forced Samantha to beg for money from her friends and family. If Samantha refused, she would be beaten. Samantha said that the two later moved into a house with Reed's mother, Jillian, on Stanley Place in Wigan. The abuse continued, sometimes with Jillian participating. On the day of the police report, June 20th of 2008, Samantha said that Reed hit her in the face, making her nose bleed. Reed then began punching and kicking Samantha for five to ten minutes while Jillian watched. When Samantha asked Jillian to, quote, sort her daughter out, Jillian responded by punching Samantha in the mouth, splitting her lip, and knocking out one of her teeth. The two continued the attack until Reed's sister and her partner arrived. After walking in on the attack, Felicity told Becky and Jillian that Samantha was not breathing, which finally caused them to stop beating on her. That assault was enough for Samantha. She ended the relationship, left the Reed's house, and went to stay with her sister. When she arrived at her sister's house, her mother and sister didn't even recognize her because she had been beaten so badly. Although the relationship was over, Reed began calling Samantha and her family to harass them, even threatening to tie Samantha up at one point. Although badly beaten, Samantha was alive. I recently discovered a new podcast that is equal parts friendship, nostalgia, and research on unsolved stories. Resolve Mysteries podcast follows the 90s television show Unsolved Mysteries hosted by Robert Stack and provides the most recent updates on each segment. The hosts of Resolve Mysteries are three friends who have a love for true crime, canned wine, and the unsolved. The stories they cover range from the very silly to the truly heartbreaking. These three fiery women provide in-depth research that will leave you laughing, crying, and occasionally outraged. Resolve Mysteries podcast is available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite pods. Join them and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. Police would eventually also charge Jillian Reed in connection with Lindsay's murder, and both mother and daughter would go on trial. A jury of six women and six men were chosen to hear the case. Becky and Jillian Reed were charged with the murder of Lindsay Vaux. They were also charged in connection with the assault on Becky's previous girlfriend, Samantha Nunes. Becky was charged with Section 18 assault and grievous bodily harm against Samantha Nunes. Jillian Reed was charged with Section 47 assault 
and assault occasioning actual bodily harm against Samantha Noons. Becky and Jillian denied all charges. Becky Reed was born on July 11, 1984. She was from Atherton. Her previous criminal record consisted of one conviction in 2006 for criminal damage, for which she was given a conditional caution. At her trial, the Manchester Crown Court heard that Reed was said to be, quote, out of control by age five and that her parents were, quote, unable to cope. A psychiatrist's exam on Reed revealed no psychosis or any severe mental illness. Dr. Cleo Van Velsen, the forensic psychologist who testified, said he thought Reed had borderline personality disorder. Another expert witness said the disorder may offer a, quote, partial defense. Reed's defense attorney, Simon Kasoka QC, asked Dr. Van Velsen whether borderline personality disorder would, quote, substantially impair her ability to exercise self-control. Dr. Van Velsen said, quote, I do feel quite strongly that the ultimate issue for the jury, in my opinion, there's a significant link between her mental disorder and what might be found to have happened. At trial, Crown Prosecutor Paul Reed, no relation to Becky or Jillian, led the jury through forensic evidence which consisted of blood spatter found on the ceiling and walls in the house where Lindsay lived with the Reeds. He said that investigators found a bloody palm print matching Lindsay's on the staircase wall. In addition, investigators found drops of blood on the kitchen ceiling, the walls of the front bedroom, the bathroom, and the landing. Prosecutor Reed said that all of the blood stains are believed to have been transferred by force which caused Lindsay's blood to, quote, generate airborne spots. Prosecutor Reed went on to discuss the abuse that Becky Reed inflicted on Lindsay, as well as Reed sending Lindsay out on the street to find her own food. He recalled a time when the manager of the local one-stop shop saw Lindsay on the store's CCTV going into large trash bins and retrieving discarded food. Prosecutor Reed also spoke about a time when the store manager saw Lindsay outside the shop on her hands and knees collecting cigarette stubs. Senior Investigating Officer Bob Tonge of GMP's Major Incident Support Unit said, quote, We're working extremely hard to tackle domestic abuse in the LGBT community, having introduced a specific recording method to track it and taking our frontline officers through training on how best to support victims. But we do need the public's help to continue to tackle domestic abuse in all of our communities. Tonge said he had never seen a worse case of domestic violence, saying, quote, We talk about modern-day slavery, and this is no different. This is my 33rd year of policing, and in terms of sustained domestic violence, rather than one isolated fatal onslaught, this is the worst I have seen. It's the sustained violence of years at the hands of terribly abusive people. We have a number of pieces of CCTV footage for when Lindsay was sent out on errands, never for herself, always for Becky and Jillian, and you can see the physical deterioration. The abuse took her down and down and down. Tonge went on to describe Reed saying, quote, Becky Reed is incredibly obsessive, compulsive, and cruelly controlling as well as violent, but she does not recognize she has any kind of problem. She is not admitted to laying a finger on her. We had witnesses who saw Lindsay being attacked outside, then being dragged indoors and there being horrendous screaming. Sometimes it was a double act with both reeds, sometimes not. But we were convinced that both had a hand in this poor woman's death. 
Tones described the abuse as a, quote, classic case of controlling, bullying behavior. Lindsay's mother, Anne Vo, testified about her daughter calling her, quote, a family girl who left home to go live with the Reeds during the summer of 2001, leaving her then six-year-old daughter in Anne's care. She said she talked to Lindsay about how she either needed to come back home to take care of her daughter or sign control over to Anne. Lindsay eventually gave custody to Anne in December of 2011. Anne said that Aaliyah wanted desperately to see her mother, but Lindsay was a no-show when they arranged times to see Aaliyah. This left Aaliyah inconsolable. Anne said that if Aaliyah saw that Lindsay was on Facebook, she would send her an instant message. Lindsay would never reply. When she would call her mother on the phone, Lindsay would hang up on her. Anne went on to talk about how Lindsay gradually cut off all contact with her family and friends, saying, quote, She deleted all of her friends. She had no contact with her siblings. She was just gone. Anne spoke about a weekend, about a year after Lindsay left to live with Reed. On that weekend, Anne and Aaliyah went to visit Lindsay. Both Reed and Lindsay came to the train station to greet them. Anne said Lindsay's appearance had changed so drastically that Aaliyah walked right past her, not realizing who she was. Anne said, quote, When she left, she was a big girl. She was about 16 stone. I had seen her a few times. I had seen it gradually come off, but I noticed it more that day. She was scruffy and not my daughter. She was skinny. Her face was all thin. Her daughter didn't even recognize her, so that's something, isn't it? The prosecution then asked Anne to read text messages between her and Lindsay from a phone number that Anne thought was Reed's. In the text, Lindsay begged Anne for money, telling her mother that she was afraid of the beating she would receive if she didn't help her. Anne said, quote, She said she had no footwear and was walking around with no shoes on. On cross-examination, Reed's defense attorney said that her daughter begging for money only happened on, quote, a few occasions. Anne responded by saying, quote, Every fortnight for three years is more than a few occasions. She went on to say that Reed smashed Aaliyah's piggy bank during one argument at Anne's home in Stockport in 2011. The argument started because Reed apparently saw calls from Lindsay's ex-girlfriend on her phone. Anne told the court that Aaliyah had spent all day painting the piggy bank before Reed destroyed it in a rage. Reed finally calmed down when Lindsay's younger brother Shane threatened to call the police. After witnessing firsthand Reed's violent behavior in her own home, Anne told Lindsay she didn't think that Aaliyah should go with her to live at the Reeds. Anne said, quote, I didn't think she needed to see that, but Lindsay was adamant she was going. It was a mutual decision between me and Lindsay. At 25, you have to let them go if they want to go. On the day Lindsay died, Anne said she found out about it in a text message from Reed that said, quote, Answer your phone. Your Lindsay is dead. Reed's defense attorney said the text did not actually say that, but Anne was adamant that it did. During the prosecution's statement, Paul Reed told the jury that Jillian had taken part in some of the beatings on both Lindsay and Samantha. The prosecutor said Lindsay had been subjected to, quote, years of controlling, abusive, cruel, and violent behavior at the hands of her girlfriend and was even made to choose between her and staying with her young daughter from a previous relationship. He explained the control that Reed was able to exact and maintain over Lindsay's, saying, quote, It appears that there was a pattern to Becky Reed's behavior while in a relationship, domineering, controlling, increasingly violent, 
and forcing her partner to beg for money to feed her own alcohol and cannabis habits. She manipulated both of her parents to the extent that their fear of her was so great and their self-esteem was so low as to make it impossible for them to break away from her or to seek help. Prosecutor Reed also told jurors why Lindsay would not press charges against Reed despite the horrible abuse suffered at her partner's hands. He said, quote, She was very protective of Becky Reed and did not want her to be thought of in a negative light. In addressing Jillian Reed's role, Prosecutor Reed said, quote, Although there were numerous times when Jillian Reed did try to stop her daughter from being violent, there were occasions when Jillian Reed herself joined in the assaults against each of the two women. On the stand, Samantha Noon said her relationship with Reed started out wonderfully in 2004, but started to go downhill. She claimed that after only a few months, she was ready to end the relationship. Samantha said she stayed with Reed because she would have felt guilty breaking things off. In 2006, she moved to her own apartment in Salford. Soon, Reed moved in with her and brought her dog with her. Samantha said she told Reed that pets were not allowed in the building, but Reed ignored her. She faced numerous complaints from neighbors in the building about having a dog, but Reed still paid no attention. Samantha said, quote, She just didn't listen to me. I kept telling her I wasn't allowed pets. She didn't have a care in the world. A few months after moving into the apartment in Salford, the violence began. In the first incident, Reed flew into a rage when her dog urinated on the floor. Reed pushed Samantha's face into the urine and then began kicking and punching her. Samantha said, quote, I didn't fight back. I was frightened. If I had hit her, I would have knocked her out. But when you love somebody, you're not supposed to hit them. That's how I've been brought up. The punching and kicking during that incident continued until Samantha apologized to Reed. Samantha went on to describe the continuing violence in their relationship. Things got worse when she refused to have sex with Reed. Reed berated Samantha for her job at Gala Bingo, which was a chain of bingo and gambling clubs. Reed said the number of hours Samantha was working was, quote, too much. Samantha eventually quit her job because of Reed's complaints leaving the couple to struggle for money as Reed was unemployed throughout their relationship. Prosecutor Reed showed records of Samantha's seven hospital visits during her relationship with Reed. One of the hospital stays was for the fractured eye socket she suffered in June of 2008, as well as a fracture to her lower arm and cheekbone. Samantha described the last two years of their relationship as violent and controlling. She estimated that she had been assaulted by Reed approximately 50 times and said during some of these attacks that Reed would be, quote, foaming at the mouth as she punched, kicked, and stomped on her. Samantha told the jury how Reed once dangled her out of a window of their second-story apartment and another time when Reed stabbed her in the breast with a screwdriver which left a scar. She said that Jillian Reed actually stood up for her against Becky one time but usually stood and watched and participated on occasion. On June 6, 2007, paramedics were called to the home that Samantha shared with Reed. Samantha told paramedics that she had been assaulted at a local store, while Reed told them that Samantha had, quote, fallen over. In 2008, Samantha and Reed moved in with Reed's father. For the short time they were there, there were no beatings or any type of violence, as Reed's father gave the pair money for clothes, food, and anything else they needed. Once they left and moved back in with Jillian, Samantha said the beatings were worse than ever. She said, quote, 
It was the worst beating of the whole thing. Her mum punched me right in the mouth, causing the loss of one tooth and a scar where my tooth came through my lip. Samantha then showed the jury the gap where her tooth used to be. On June 20th, 2008, Becky Reed beat Samantha over the head with a, quote, thick glass jar. She said that Jillian stood on her throat as Becky attacked her. This ended their relationship. Samantha said, quote, that was the final straw. She busted my nose. It bled a lot. It felt like it was broken. She hit me that hard that I felt like I had a golf ball coming out of my eye. Becky's sister Tony and her partner Felicity, who had come to the house and interrupted the attack, took Samantha to the hospital. After the hospital stay, the couple dropped Samantha off at the house of her sister, Lindsay Cosgrove. Prosecutor Reed asked Samantha why she didn't report the Reeds to the police sooner, and Samantha replied by saying she was afraid. Samantha also told the court that she is plagued with regret that she did not testify against Reed after the incident that ended their relationship. She said, quote, My one regret is that I didn't get her arrested when she beat me up in 2008. Lindsay would have still been here. Prosecutor Reed told jurors, quote, It is the prosecution's case that Samantha Nunes was lucky in that she managed to extricate herself from her abusive and destructive relationship with Becky Reed before she suffered the same fate as Lindsay Vaux. Lindsay Vaux was not so lucky. The jury also heard how Reed had also been harassing another woman via Facebook after trying to strike up a relationship with her. The woman was not interested in a relationship with Reed, who would not stop texting, emailing, and sending Facebook messages to her. Despite medical records, an autopsy, and numerous witness statements, both Becky and Jillian Reed denied ever hurting Lindsay. Becky's defense counsel asked the jury to consider her mental health and to see if she was a, quote, completely broken individual. During trial, Becky took the stand in her own defense. Although she had grown up in somewhat of a privileged family, attending Tildesley Highfield Boarding School, she told the jury that her father regularly beat her and her mother. She said her father forced her to inject him with amphetamines starting when she was only 12 years old. Reed claimed she only did it to save her and her mother from beatings. She said, quote, It was like walking on eggshells around him. You had to be quiet. He would only tell my mom he loved her when he was off his head. He used to wake me up out of bed. Mum would say, quote, She's your daughter. You shouldn't be asking her to do it. I just did it so we wouldn't get hurt. Reed also told the jury that her father would lock her inside her house. She also said her father would not let her visit her mother in the hospital while she was recovering from surgery. Reed told the jury she had to climb out of a window of her bedroom in order to see her mother. Under direct examination, Reed finally admitted that she had hit Lindsay during their relationship, but claimed that her, quote, night terrors and mental health issues from her childhood abuse were responsible for any violence that occurred. When asked whether she had physically abused Lindsay, Reed responded by saying, we were both as bad as each other. It wasn't to the point where we were knocking seven bells out of each other. It was little slaps and digs like punches. When asked which parts of the body she and Lindsay would hit each other, Reed said, quote, Arms, face, I can't remember. I forget things through my mental health. Reed was asked what she and Lindsay would argue about. Reed replied, quote, Housework, helping around the house with the cleaning. Say there was something on the floor. She would walk past it 20 to 30 times. At the end of the day, it would still be there. 
something that should be in bin by rights. It would take me to pick it up. It's not just mine, it's everyone's duty to help around the house. It would annoy me. It's dirty. It shouldn't be there. It's common sense that it shouldn't be there. Everything was left to me. Nobody else would help me. It was me hanging out the washing. It was me putting the washer on. It was me. Reed's defense counsel then brought up a therapy appointment that Reed had supposedly attended with Lindsay. Lindsay showed up to the appointment with a black eye. Reed said, quote, It happened during my night terror. I have night terrors, out-of-body experiences. I can see myself looking down at myself. When the topic of Lindsay losing half of her body weight was brought up, Reed denied that she ever told Lindsay to lose weight. Defense counsel asked Reed if Lindsay being overweight bothered her, to which Reed replied, quote, No, I loved her. I loved her for who she was. I tried to urge her to go to the doctor. I will, I will, she said, but she never did. Reed claimed that Lindsay's weight loss was as a result of her not looking after herself. She said, quote, She gradually gave up on herself. Of course, I worried about her. I used to look at her and think that I was thin, but that she was thinner than me. Reed said that Lindsay was diagnosed with a thyroid condition, but would not even go see a doctor about it, constantly failing to show up for appointments. Reed said, quote, I went with her to the Thomas Lineker Center. She was getting pains in her chest. She had to get some blood tests done, but she was scared of needles. After that, she didn't bother going to the appointments. She was her own individual person. When asked about her relationship with Samantha Nunes, Reed denied ever being violent toward her. She explained the June 20, 2008 incident by saying that Nunes fell backwards, but Reed said she didn't recall striking her. Reed said, quote, She just went backwards and just passed out or something or other. Reed said that when she received the restraining order prohibiting contact with Samantha, she was upset. Reed said, quote, It was a good relationship with us. It did hurt. It was upsetting. I got a text off her saying, quote, I'm sorry for what I have done. About two days later, the police came banging on my door saying I have broken the restraining order. I explained to police I didn't contact her. She contacted me first. She said they were both as bad as each other. While Becky's defense strategy was to blame her mental illness for Lindsay's murder, Jillian Reed's defense was aimed at putting blame squarely on her daughter. On the witness stand, Jillian claimed that she tried to stop her daughter from abusing Lindsay, but was unable to control her. She compared Becky's behavior to being, quote, like her dad. She said she lived with Becky because she was afraid of living by herself. Jillian told the jury about Becky's violent childhood, saying, quote, She would kick her brother. He had bruises all over his legs. Her dad didn't help. He used to reward her with money if she did anything. Jillian also recalled the time Becky cut the hair off of her sister's Barbie dolls and stuck tampons on her posters. Jillian also told the jury that Becky was a fire starter as a child. Jillian's defense attorney, John McDermott, QC, asked her about Becky's relationships with Samantha and Lindsay. Jillian claimed she was bedbound most of the time Lindsay lived with her in the house on Sydney Street. She said she spent most of the day in bed and would occasionally get up if it was, quote, kicking off between Becky and Lindsay. Jillian said she once witnessed seeing Becky stomping on Lindsay's bare feet. Jillian said she tried to get Becky to stop, but Becky responded by shoving Jillian and telling her to mind her own effing business. Jillian further recalled that Becky had boots on during the incident when she was stomping on Lindsay. 
Lindsay's feet were bare and black and blue from the stomping, according to Jillian. Jillian told jurors that Becky told her to, quote, go back upstairs where I belonged. Jillian claimed that Becky was also violent toward her. She recalled that on one occasion, Becky kicked her in the shin and another time, Becky broke Jillian's jaw, causing her to be admitted to the hospital. Jillian's defense attorney asked her about accusations that she had helped to hold Lindsay down while Becky was beating her. Jillian's response to that was, quote, I can hardly walk or stand or do anything like that. I have never-ending pain. Jillian did admit there were numerous times when she saw Lindsay with a black eye and one time when she saw bruises all over Lindsay's back. Jillian claimed that during the beatings, she would hide from Becky and call her daughters for help when she thought the violence was too much. Jillian testified that Lindsay had, quote, let herself go during the last several weeks of her life and looked, quote, miserable with herself. Jillian went on to say, quote, at one time, she would do anything for you. It got to the point where she couldn't be bothered. She did let herself go. We had asked her to have a bath because people were turning around saying she stank. She wouldn't wash her hands and face. She looked really ill. She was dirty and gray. She looked miserable, down, and fed up. During closing statements, the prosecution argued that Becky Reed was a sadistic, lying murderer. Becky's defense, however, was arguing that her severe mental health condition caused the abuse of Lindsay Vaux and Samantha Noons and Lindsay's death. Prosecutor Reed asked the jury to consider that Reed subjected to Lindsay to, quote, cruel and violent behavior, which only got worse during the last few years of her life. Quote, she controlled, manipulated, humiliated, and denigrated her partners and used violence towards them. Samantha Noons did not have her eye socket broken by accident. Lindsay Vaux did not die as a result of falling down the stairs or because of a thyroid condition. Both were beaten by Becky Reed in this case over a substantial period of time. He went on to say, If Becky is found guilty, defense attorney Kasoka asked the jury to consider whether she should be considered for her diminished responsibility due to her, quote, severe personality disorder. He said that if Reed did in fact commit the act she's accused of, that it was due to a, quote, complete lack of empathy, which was brought on by her personality disorder. Becky's defense counsel asked the jury, quote, I want you to think about, is she a damaged person? Is she a broken person? When serious injuries were caused, what was her intention? Did she intend serious injury? He also blamed Reed's dysfunctional upbringing as part of the reason she had a lack of empathy, saying, quote, When you consider that's her upbringing, that must be her outlook on the world. Reed's defense counsel then compared her to a toddler with very little self-control, who chose to stay with an abusive father and a non-protective mother. Prosecutor Reed argued against diminished responsibility by claiming that Reed was attempting to, quote, pull the wool over the juror's eyes. She made claims that she's not guilty of anything. She hopes to pull the wool over your eyes to cast doubt over the overwhelming body of evidence that points to her guilt. A psychologist had testified during trial that Reed showed signs of borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Prosecutor Reed told jurors that if they believe the defense's claims of diminished capacity, this would provide Becky Reed a partial defense, which would also give her a, quote, second bite of the cherry if she is found guilty. Jillian's defense attorney called his client a, quote, tragic and infirm woman 
who was the most unlikely candidate to end up in court for murder. He went on to say, quote, With all her family and medical problems, she was living the life of a semi-recluse, closing her door on the world at night. He described Jillian's life as, unquote, uneventful, friendless, hobbyless, and frankly aimless existence, which is not much of a life. McDermott said that Jillian's defense counsel said that she was not a murderer, saying, quote, She doesn't look the part, and there is good reason for that. He said that Jillian had become trapped in a, quote, miserable existence where she was afraid of her own daughter, but even more afraid of living by herself. Jillian's defense counsel concluded by saying, quote, Becky Reed killed Lindsay Vaux, nobody else, not phantom motorists, kids throwing bricks, or injuries from collapses in the streets. Jillian Reed is only there because of her daughter's actions. She's been caught up in the tale of misery created by Becky Reed, damned by the association and alliance with her daughter. On Thursday, October 12th of 2017, after a six-week trial, the jury found Becky Reed guilty of murdering Lindsay Vaux and of inflicting grievous bodily harm to Samantha Nunes. Becky's mother, Jillian Reed, was found not guilty of Lindsay's murder, but was found guilty of grievous bodily harm to Samantha Nunes. Judge Richard Mansell, QC, sentenced Becky to life with a minimum of 20 years. Jillian Reed was sentenced to a 12-month suspended sentence, which meant her sentence was delayed for certain reasons, such as her going on probation or possibly to undergo some sort of treatment. The judge said that although Jillian was not convicted of Lindsay's murder, she bore a, quote, significant degree of moral blame for her death. In addressing Becky Reed, Judge Menzel said, quote, You took control of Lindsay's life to such an extent that she gradually withdrew from family and friends. It is perfectly clear that she loved you, but she feared you and your violent temper. You manipulated her emotions while justifying your own behavior, and you delivered regular and sustained beatings to her. You controlled the purse strings in that house, and you put yourself and your mother first, effectively starving Lindsay, who had to beg and forage for scraps of food. The violence you committed towards her was frequent, sustained, brutal, and merciless. It was an exercise in control, dominance, punishment, and denigration. She was too frightened to defy you, stand up to you, or fight back. She was too frightened to accept the help offered to her by police and many locals as she was simply terrified to leave you. You have displayed no remorse for your actions. About a dozen members of Lindsay's family, including her daughter, shouted, quote, yes, as the guilty verdicts were read. They hugged each other and thanked the police detectives who worked Lindsay's case. Judge Menzel thanked the jury for sitting through the, quote, very distressing case and said he would speak to Lindsay's daughter, Aaliyah, in private the next day. When the two met, Judge Menzel told Aaliyah that although she had lost all contact with her mother for the past five years, that Lindsay had been, quote, taken away by the actions of another, when she decided to leave home, I'm absolutely satisfied from everything I've learned. She was so utterly controlled by Becky Reed at that time. Her ability to make rational decisions had gone, and I'm sure, deep down, she still loved you and didn't make that decision consciously. You must remember your mother did not abandon you. She was taken away by the actions of another person. Everything I have heard is she was a really decent, kind, loving human being. When asked her thoughts on the verdict, Samantha Noon said, quote, I'm absolutely ecstatic at the sentence. 
I hope she rots in hell. I'm glad she got what she deserves, and I hope she meets the biggest bully in there. As soon as police knocked on my door in June of last year, my first words were, who has she killed? Because she nearly killed me. Luckily, I managed to get the backbone to walk away when I did. When I spoke to the police, I did it for Lindsay. She has a 12-year-old daughter who's just lovely. We're all going to keep in contact and meet up every year to remember Lindsay and have a celebration for Lindsay. She went through far worse than me, obviously, because she's not here now. My one regret is that I didn't get her killer arrested when she beat me up in 2008. I wish I didn't drop the charges and Lindsay would still have been here. As a message to others involved in abusive relationships, Samantha said, quote, If any man or woman is getting beaten up, please get help and don't hide it like I did. Even tell a friend, a neighbor, or a doctor, anybody who can help. That's what they are there for. After the trial, questions were brought up regarding whether the police could have done more to prevent the murder of Lindsay Vaux. The Independent Office for Police Conduct, IOPC, was brought in to investigate law enforcement's handling of the case and whether police responding to reports acted appropriately in spotting abuse, coming to Lindsay's aid, or taking action toward Becky and Jillian Reed. The investigation found that on March 14th or 15th of 2016, two officers from the Greater Manchester Police saw Lindsay while out on patrol and stopped to question her about the injuries he saw on her face. Lindsay told them that she had been beaten up by a bunch of women whom she didn't know. The officers checked to see if the incident Lindsay was claiming had been reported, but they couldn't find anything. Both officers followed protocol and recorded the incident. Later, one of the officers learned that Lindsay had told another officer that she had suffered the injuries when she was hit by a car. Lindsay was then asked why she gave different answers to the two patrol officers. Lindsay said that both incidents had taken place, she had been beaten up by a bunch of unknown women, and had been hit by a car. Experts say this behavior of making up stories to cover up abuse is typical of a victim in a controlling relationship. The IOPC investigation concluded that although the officer's performance was, quote, unsatisfactory, there was not enough evidence for a finding of misconduct. The report states that the officers went through training in crime recording and that the GMP did not consider any further action necessary. The spokesman said that the investigation findings had been shared with the force and Lindsay's family. A statement by a spokesman for the IOPC said, quote, We carried out two independent investigations into the contact Greater Manchester Police had with Lindsay Vaux prior to her death on May 22, 2016. Our investigators looked at three separate contacts dealt with by police between 14 and 21 March 2016, all concerned with Lindsay's welfare. Our investigator found that there was insufficient evidence upon which a reasonable tribunal could conclude that any of the officers involved had a case to answer for misconduct. We completed our investigations following the conclusion of the trial in October 2017, at which Becky Reed was jailed for life for Lindsay's murder. Our thoughts remain with Lindsay's family and friends, and we thank them for their patience and understanding while we carried out our investigations. That's it for this episode. If you or anyone you know is in an abusive relationship, help is available. 
The National Center for Domestic Violence website is www.ncdv.org.uk. The National Center for Domestic Violence hotline is 0800-970-2070. In the U.S., the Domestic Abuse Hotline website is www.thehotline.org. If you prefer to call, the Domestic Abuse Hotline for the U.S. is one 800 799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. If you are in an abusive relationship, getting out safely is of utmost importance. I encourage you to take the DASH risk assessment, which was developed by criminal behavioral analyst Laura Richards. The DASH risk assessment is a tool to help you identify your situation and get out of it safely. Be sure to head over to the Murderish Facebook discussion group or Twitter to discuss this case. You can find me on Facebook by searching Murderish Discussion Group and on Twitter at Murderish Pod. I'm also on Instagram at Murderish Podcast. If you're enjoying Murderish, do me the biggest favor and hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app and tell a friend about Murderish. I'd also appreciate it if you leave the show a positive rating and review in iTunes. If you'd like to take your support for the podcast a step further, head over to patreon.com slash murderish to see some cool perks that are available in exchange for your monthly support. If you become a patron, you'll have immediate access to Patreon-exclusive bonus content, as well as other Patreon perks including murderish t-shirts, stickers, magnets, a shout-out on the podcast, discount codes at the Murderish merch store, and other cool stuff. If you'd like to sport a Murderish t-shirt or sip coffee from a Murderish mug, check out my online merch store at murderishpodcast.threadless.com. I recently added a bunch of new designs to the store. Email any comments or questions you have to murderishjamie at gmail.com. That's murderishjamie, J-A-M-I, at gmail.com. Murderish is mixed and mastered by John Buchanis of Audio Editing Solutions. Music in this episode was composed by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched and written by Murderish researcher Steve Field. As always, Ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this show doesn't make you a murderer, it just means you're murder-ish. <laughs>